is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and nothing could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. What is up, everybody? We are back. We are back for a special episode right now. There's a, There's been some big news in the hobby. Y'all know about it. And uh, we had to bring back crowd favorite, audience favorite, none other than the Leaf CEO, Brian Gray. We're going to bring him out right now. And we're going to talk about what there is to talk about. BG, welcome back to the show. How are you tonight? Doing good. How are you, Jay Money? <laughs> I am good, my man. I am good. I am good. I'm just fumbling with my camera here. Let's get that straightened out. All right. There we go. So, I mean, you know what? I I had a couple, uh, I had a busy weekend, you know, and I thought to myself, listen, there, there's a lot of news uh, out there. Fanatics, you know, MLB dropped a bomb on the hobby and uh, we we needed to get you out there because I think among all the people who have been talking about this for the past three days, you might have the best insights. That's my that's my honest thoughts on this thing. Uh, and so Arisha, I said, hey, man, I think we should do this. Are you up for it? He goes, yeah, we need to do this. I said, all right, we're going to do it. So we scheduled the episode for tonight. And uh, and so we're, we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to actually we're going to take a bit of a different approach, I think, than than others have uh, not not way different or anything, but we're going to we're going to kind of lay out what do we know, what do we not know, and what is everybody saying? And you are going to add a ton of color. We're going to go to the comments and we're going to, we're going to, uh, you know, get a, an understanding for the, the questions people have. And we are going to, uh, we are going to, um, I'm going to turn off chat on him, uh, Ken Golden. I'm going to turn it off so he's not distracted. Ken wants to know if you're reading, uh, if you're going to be reading the chat, BG, but not, I won't turn it off on you. I won't turn it off on you. So anyway, Listen, we're, we're going to start right now and we're going to start. I'm going to actually kind of go through what are the facts of the situation that, that we we as a hobby know for certain. Well, or at least has been reported publicly based on the, the memo that was issued by the by the director of the MLBPA uh, and, you know, Tony Clark by memo. And um, so let's get into it. First things first, BG, the bomb was dropped on Thursday. And before you get into to anything specific, what were your, what, what was your immediate reaction? I mean, it was one of those things where first was a jaw drop. I was shocked because I, no one really knew this was coming. I had even warned some people that I had a feeling that Fanatics was long-term looking to take a piece of it. And so I warned one of my competitors. I said, I have a weird feeling they're going to take a piece of these things. And the competitor you know, laughed me off. And then they called me thirsty and said, you were a genius. We should have listened. But, um, but no, honestly, it's just, I was shocked. And it was almost one of those days where you think you've seen it all. And then the MLB and NFL thing hits right after it. It's like, are you freaking kidding me? It's like, where is the next bomb going to drop? And I'm like looking over my shoulder. Cause I mean, so far I've dodged all the bullets, but you got to be careful out there. It was our treacherous day, a treacherous day. Yeah, man, it was uh, it, it was shocking to me too. I mean, tops is synonymous with baseball cards. It has been since you know, of course, the fifty-two tops Mickey Mantle is the iconic card in the hobby. Uh, it, you know, 
it shocked me as well. So let's let's start off by just letting letting everybody know because I, I mean everyone's heard about this, but has everybody gathered an understanding of the facts of the situation? So let's let's lay out these facts to start. While I'm doing that, BG, you know them. You can read the chat if you want. But yeah, first yeah, things yeah. first, and it's important when we go through these these various years and dates that people understand that there's two to produce sports cards the way we the way the hobby wants them the car the card company needs to receive two licenses one from the players association and one from the league itself so keep that in mind we know that fanatics is going to be the exclusive licensee for baseball cards uh we know we know that they've also signed deals with the nba players association the nfl players association uh, and along with those two entities, along with the MLB Players Association and Major League Baseball, these will all have equity stake in this new legal entity that is going to be created by Fanatics. So it's not actually Fanatics who, who's going to have these licenses. It's a new entity, a subsidiary, I'm assuming a subsidiary of theirs that will have this license. <clears throat> so the current MLB and Tops deal, it was renewed in 2018 and it expires in 2025. The Major League Baseball Players Association deal with Tops and Panini, Panini has one too, from a Players Association perspective, these are both going to expire at the end of 2022. So there's actually a bridge period there where Tops and M where, where Tops has MLB, but not the PA. So that's, and Brian, you're going to create some color around that for us. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple pieces here first. First... Topps' PA deal was never like a PA deal. Like when Panini did a PA deal, it gave them the rights to all those players. But Topps has always worked in a grandfathered situation, which is why Bowman, they were always able to put Bowman in their products when other companies couldn't use the prospects in their major league products. Um, and so really they continue to sign all the players individually anyway. So there's even a greater overlap because the players sign four-year deals typically, and those don't expire until 24, I don't think it is. So they really have two extra years of PA, but not PA. So they can't put the pretty little guy swinging on the back of the card or whatever the logo is for the PA, but they can still use the players. So when people think they have one year left, that's hogwash. I'm pretty confident they have four or three more after this one. And then there's another question. This is so complicated. That's why this is such a mess. Because I think because of their grandfathering, they can still sign individual players to deals. They're not subject to the GLA restrictions that players would be subject with if they went with me or Panini. So I think it's way more complicated than people think, which is interesting because I really believe Tops can make cards until 26 under the way the system's set up. And then we'll speculate later about what comes after that, unless everyone's dream of them buying Tops uh, comes to fruition quick. All right. Okay. So let's let's just move on just again to set the table here. The NBA Players Association and the NBA, they have a deal with Panini, which expires at the end of 2025. And then the NFL PA and the NFL's deal with Panini expires at the end of 2026. And as we as we have been told, Fanatics has deals with those entities. All, through, all four, except for the NFL, they're sort of in limbo for now, or at least we don't know about it yet. And so Panini is going to continue to make cards until then. And after that, we'll, again, we'll, it's going to be Fanatics. We know that we know that Tops paid the MLBPA $20.4 million in 2020. 
uh, in licensing fees and royalties. So that's a, that's a big chunk of dough. But we have also been told by Tony Clark in his memo to the players that the Fanatics deal is 10 times the magnitude of any that they had ever signed before. So that's that's significant, Brian. What is what does that tell you? What is that? What what what? Where does that make your head go? Ten well, times. First off, at one point, I announced that I had done the most lucrative deal for a rookie ever in hockey when we signed Jack Eichel. What is the metric for that? Even if it is 10 times any other deal, well, if the top deals were four-year deals and it's 10 times the total size, then it really could be two and a half times the top deal. You see, because the length could be – I, I believe the length is a 10-year deal. That's my guess because that was the deal that uh, Panini did with football and kind of set the stage for the longer end of these agreements. So really, we don't know if it really is ten times. I don't think they're paying two hundred million a year. If they are, then they're not. Then they not make a good fiscally responsible deal, obviously. But it may be fifty million they'll end up paying. You know that really that's realistic. And maybe it's a ten year deal. That's five hundred million. Where a typical top deal at twenty million a year times four years is eighty million. You see what I'm saying? So you don't really know. You know, you don't really know how the deal's structured. But I would guess that they paid them a lot of money. And it probably is a, a financially favorable deal. And we'll talk later about if that matters or if they should have had other considerations besides money. Well, if I'm a Major League Baseball player and I received uh, Tony Clark's memo and I know how much I made through through the through the PA for, for my image and all that, I'm going to expect 10 times that. So that's what I'm thinking as a, as a player. But who, Prepare who for disappointment. Prepare <laughs> for disappointment. You ain't getting 10 times. And I'm no player, so that's all right. Okay, uh, what else do we know? We know that the, the Tops uh, SPAC deal, that they were going to go public through a merger with Mudrick Capital, the value Tops at $1.3 billion has been terminated. What we don't know is what that means uh, for the value of Tops moving forward. BG, what do you think that does to the value of Tops moving forward? Not not only that the, the termination of the deal with Mudrick Capital taking it public, but also all of this news. Well, I heard two of my friends speaking the other night and Ken Golden and Darren Ravel. And one of them was very sensible and the other one was nuts. And one of them was Ken Golden and the other one was nuts. So, I mean, when, when Darren Ravel said that Tops is worth $400 million, you can consider this right now an offer for Tops at $400 million. We will. I have a group that will buy Tops for $400 million right now. There's no chance in hell it's $400 million. That might be the worst estimation since figuring out they could get around the iceberg in the Titanic. That was the only calculation that may have been worse than this one. Uh, I think realistically it's 750 million to a billion. And I calculate that by saying, based on this year, I believe they can make 150 million minimum the next five years. That's 750 million. And that puts, if you put no residual value on it, the present value of that is 600 million, 550 million. And to say Tops is worthless on that day is the silliest thing I've ever heard. But you also have to assume that if Tops is a standalone for the next five years, that $150 million is love. Because I'm telling you, the love for those products the next five years when people think they might be gone and Tops' ability to ramp things up and maybe not care quite as much about the future as they do right now, they could make two two fifty the next few years. So if the number is Tops, if it's four to four fifty, please call me or email me at brianandleaftradingcards.com. We can get you a deal. We can get you an LOI in the next couple of days at four to four hundred and fifty million. There's no chance in hell. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Ken was sensible. He knows it's much more than that. Interesting. Okay. 
Okay, we're going to come back to that very soon, very soon. Uh, in the meantime, Tops is left with some licensing deals. They're left with Major League Soccer, Bundesliga, UEFA, and NHL hockey stickers is what is what they're left with. Uh, you know, what does that mean? Is there is there significant value there when you when you value them as you just did? How much of their value do you do you lend uh, do you attribute to those licenses that I just mentioned? Those are okay, and the soccer's a big one. They're pumping big numbers out. But see, what everyone's forgetting is Bowman doesn't disappear because you don't have a PA license or a properties license. What I think is going to happen, if Fanatics doesn't bother them right away, and we'll speculate about that later, I believe there's a real chance they're going to make Bowman and scrub the jerseys like I do, which I will personally find as a great vindication that I've been right the whole time that no one cares. But until then, you can't value their baseball business at zero. That's insane. They're going to do rookies in some capacity somewhere. And they're going to do legends in some capacity somewhere. Look at the Trevor Lawrence that they put out. If they'll put that out with the guy looking like some 1970s wild child, I promise you they'll find some way to feature these rookies and legends in a meaningful way. So you can't value that at zero. So I think I think the business, yeah, maybe it goes down 30% at the end of the term. I think they can make 50, 100 million easy in this environment with what they have. And being creative in baseball, maybe they do football. There's all kinds of things they can do. I think that's a good business, though. Like I said, I would love to have a chance to snack that baby up right now. That's a this is to be panic selling at its finest. Okay, okay. So, and we're we're, we're we are going to circle back on this stuff. So again, Fanatics is going to create this new subsidiary company. It'll be the exclusive licensee in the baseball card category. They have announced that Josh Luber, formerly of StockX, will be the CEO of this new entity. And, um, and, and you know, with, with that, when you heard that news, Brian, what did you think? A little surprised because, you know, I figured they might go with a stuffed up, you know, stuffy guy in a suit that went to Harvard, which is what every other company does except for mine, where it's just a schlub collector who became the CEO. You know, every other one goes for some well-educated. Josh is smart. He's creative. And I think there's, I mean, there's, he's a, he's a perfectly fine choice. I think a CEO should be someone who's been in the trenches in some capacity. I want my general to be someone who used to be a soldier, not some guy that went to Harvard, you know? So, I mean, to me, I, I think it's a perfectly fine choice. He's not the key to the deal. The key to the deal is he may be the wizard, the grand voice of Oz, but like who's going to be behind the curtain pulling the levers and helping make magic happen? Are they going to hire the best or buy the best? That remains to be seen. But if they don't buy the best, if they try to do it internally, they will probably have a lot of bumps and bruises early on. But I respect this is what's so hard. I respect every person in this equation except the leagues. Don't really, I don't not respect the leagues, but like I don't know them really. I just know they don't love me. But I respect fanatics. They are really very good at what they do. I respect tops. They've done a pretty good job with the brand for a long, long time. And I respect the hell out of Panini. Because I didn't think they were going to make it after two years. And sure enough, they crushed it. So, like, when you respect everyone in the food chain, this is really hard because you know not everyone's going to win. But I will tell you, I think I think it's going to be great either way for the companies. I think Fanatics will do the best they can do, whether they buy people or not. I think Luber is a perfectly fine choice. The key is going to be the support. Because if it's just Josh, then no one's going to win. You can make it just me. I'm not going to win if it was me running Fanatics baseball, whatever. No chance. You have to have a strong supporting staff. And with what they bid off, you got to have the best. Whatever it costs, you pay whatever it costs to buy the best. 
Yeah, well, they're definitely going to have to build a team. I think that that pretty much goes without saying. And uh, and as you said, they need to they need to really draft that team uh, very very well to run all these uh, all these different projects that they're going to have to run. So it's definitely going to be uh, interesting. And and the other thing, you know, they've got some. I believe they've got some lead time here. You know, they've probably got at least a year to sort of get every, get their their foundation beneath them and uh, build out that team. And you know. And then they're going to start layering on additional sports as these other uh, exclusives come to their uh, conclusion. So they, they they definitely have some team. Let's let's talk about what we what we don't know. We've kind of talked about what we do know. What we don't know is basically it's basically everything else. And the the hobby has been very speculative about what's going to happen uh, once once Fanatics kind of does take hold. Once their licenses do kick in. So here's some of the here's some of the speculations that I have heard about and. Uh, we, we can, we can, let me just read them all BG and then we'll go through them one by one. How's that sound? Perfect. Let's do it. All right. Thompson Panini will run the presses from now until their, their uh, licenses end. That's the first thing. Make as much money as you can because you know, your, your licenses are about to end. That's the first thing I've heard. I've heard that Fanatics is going to buy Tops and or Panini. I've heard that Fanatics will issue sub licenses to Tops and or Panini. I've heard that Fanatics is going to take over distribution and eliminate the middlemen distributors. I've heard the sports cards are going to go direct to consumers, putting a threat to uh, to the existence of LCSs. I've heard that Fanatics is going to buy Upper Deck and issue Michael Jordan autographs. And I've also heard that Carvin Chung is going to be hired as the director of product development for Fanatics for the new uh, the new entity that they will create to have these licenses and, as you mentioned, bringing back uh, you know the best of the best. So. Those are the various things that I've heard. The last one, that's my speculation, uh, <laughs> among a few others, I'm sure. But those are those are those are the, the different speculatory pieces that I have heard about. So let's start with the beginning, the first one. Thompson Panini will run the presses. You did sort of allude to it a little bit earlier, not that specifically, but you know the the money that Tops can make between now and the end of the their of their baseball license. What do you how how do you feel about that speculatory piece? Well, I'll include that in a in a little thought process. If I'm, let's say, Panini today, Panini is a heavily market uh, marketing-driven company. They are the best. Topps is very good at getting PR place places, but Panini is the best at the big picture of marketing. Now, some of that, the leagues make you spend a certain amount. I don't know if people know that, but you're required to spend a certain amount on marketing. If I'm Panini, I spend the exact dollar amount I have to spend. Not one penny more. They spend way in excess of that because they care about the industry long term and they're trying to grow it. You have to quit thinking about that now. Someone's just put the clock in front of you that tells you the day of your passing. Not their passing, but you know what I mean. The day that you no longer have all the rights you want. So the fact is they're going to have to start thinking more short term. Do I think they're going to just be irresponsible? No, the brands are too valuable. The brands, the brand equity for everything else they plan on making after that. And, and there's some wild ones, I'll tell you at the end, what I really believe is going to happen, which is a shocker. You know, I think they have to really be thoughtful of that still a little bit. So I don't think they're going to overproduce. I think you might see a little increase. I think you might see a little bit higher prices. I think, I mean, they have to try to, and also you're going to see them using a lot more great assets the next five years. Because they're now not thinking that all this game use has to last for 15 years. Because they're not going to buy another Joe Jackson bat. So now they don't have to budget that bat out over the next 10 years. They got to budget over the next five. So you, it'll be kind of like hockey. You saw a lot of great Panini hockey at the end when they put those assets out there and just started 
really loading stuff up with those assets. So there could actually be an improvement in the products. But I wouldn't be shocked to see some alteration in the behavior from both companies because, frankly, they just got hit over the head with a two-by-four. And when someone does that, you regain your bearings, and then you make a plan. And these guys are both very smart. And I promise you, they're going to find a way to maximize in the short term without harming their long-term brand. Because as much as everyone thinks going into number two that they're getting bought, I wouldn't count your chickens yet. So they may need those brands to stay strong and pure and not sell them out. Yeah, you so you mentioned hockey there a little bit. When when Panini lost its hockey license at the end of the 13-14 season, they loaded up their product with all the memorabilia because they figured they didn't have any use for it. And you had some of the the, the best products hockey has seen uh, in that year between National Treasures and Anthology was loaded. So Prime was good. I mean, they had some great products. Yeah, we can de we could definitely see that again. All right. So the next uh, the next piece is uh, or point is that fanatics will buy tops. Or, or, or a part of tops, and or they will buy um, Panini. And I think when we say Panini, we mean Panini America. What, what do you I, say to that? I've had the pleasure of meeting Michael Rubin on one occasion. And what I can tell you is he's very smart. And I'm not even saying, even past him, the people there are very smart, they're very calculated. And like any good poker player, you've sometimes just got to be patient and you got to pick your spot. I think there is almost no chance that a deal, and I heard this on the on the Ken and uh, Darren's thing, I think there's no chance a deal is done in the next 12 months. No chance at all. Zero. First off, there's probably going to be some anger for a little while. And I think you're also going to want to see what's there. And when I tell you what I think is going to happen at the end, at the end, later on in this conversation, when we really get speculative, what I'm going to propose I think is going to happen, neither of them are going to sell. Neither of them are. The best candidate to sell, I believe, is Upper Deck. Because their business, pretty much, Fanatics is in a position to say, you do want to sell to us, right, Upper Deck? Because you know you're the last sport. We need to just push a little button and you're kaplooey. It will take nothing to blow Upper Deck out of hockey. Nothing. Because Upper Deck's paying so little money. That was the easiest of the four to get. They did all the heavy lifting already. Hockey's going to be a piece of cake. So they can hold over their head. If you don't do a deal with us, watch out. And so I think Upper Deck is probably the best candidate to be bought. I wouldn't count on Michael Jordan signing because I don't think he likes it. I don't think LeBron likes it anymore. I think you may see them sign almost nothing. I think they'd like to quit if they could, but they kind of feel some sense of obligation, so they sign a little bit. I think they'd rather not ever sign again. So I don't – if that's the only reason you want it to happen, that's a bad reason. If you want to see exquisite basketball made by someone who's, you know, really invested in the industry, maybe that's a good reason. But I think they're the easiest to buy because they're probably going to cost you about $200 million right now, you know. Maybe 175 million, 200 million, which is probably high, but those brands are pretty valuable, you know? And I mean, again, I clean house if I bought them. That's the only bad part about Upper Deck is I wouldn't want them to make the products. I'd want Panini's team to take Upper Deck's brands. And I think the problem is Panini's going to be too expensive. I don't think they're going to overpay for Panini. And Panini's got a bright future still. So I don't think they're in any position where they need to fire sell Panini. And I don't think Tops needs to fire sell. So I think honestly, Fanatics also feels like, to me, a company that really wants to build their brand. Everything is about Fanatics, the brand. Fanatics, 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 Fanatics. So I wouldn't be shocked if they take a shot on their own. And I think any of these strategies is right. You can buy tops and have the brand equity of those brands, but is it ever really about Fanatics in or is it about tops? You can buy Panini and have those brands, but is it ever really about Fanatics or is it about the old Panini? It's not, you know, see what I'm saying? And I think 
there's an argument for them going it alone, you know? Well, that kind of brings us to the, the next potential there is does Fanatics issue sub-licenses to Tops and or Panini to, to carry the brands? And and I guess, you know, also looking at it would be do Tops and or Panini uh, sub-license their brands to Fanatics so that they can carry forward those brands that the hobby loves? I think no chance on any either of those. No chance. At this, It's not like you let someone come burn down your house and then they ask to borrow. The one thing not burned down is your toaster and they ask to borrow your toaster. You're not going to give it to them. You're nuts. You're not doing that. There's no way they're doing that because what I think is going to happen, and again, I'm teasing it because it's too early in the show to tell you, what I think is going to happen is mind-blowing. And if it happens, they're not going to do anything at all until the time's up and then the big bomb drops. And I think that's what the companies are going to do because, and again, it's going to make it's going to give me a high level of vindication. I'm going to feel like a superhero that I've been saying something for ten years, and people are listening finally. But I think something big will happen because I don't think these guys are going to roll over and play dead. I think the only way they sell the fanatics is the fanatics pays money like they were worth today or close. Instead of paying one point three for tops, you're going to pay eight hundred, nine hundred. If you don't pay that, you're not getting it. And a panini, if you don't pay two billion or two and a half billion, you ain't getting it. You're not getting it for a billion bucks on a fire sale. No chance. They're worth way more than that. The people are good there. No chance. So I don't, they're not going to sub-license their brands. Why would you, you don't give the milk away without buying the cow. You make them buy you. Like my brands, my brands aren't available unless you want to buy the cow. I could probably license ProSet and Leaf. Those are good brands, especially for football. ProSet, that's a great brand. Wouldn't license it for anything. You buy the cow if you want. I'm not calling myself a cow, but you buy the cow if you want the milk. You know what I'm saying? And so I don't think that's going to happen. And they're not going to sub-license either because what they're doing is they're establishing themselves as the king of sports in every way. Whether it's whether it's uh, apparel, whether it's fan-driven merchandise, whether it's trading cards, whether it's online betting, which is another business they're getting into, whether it is ticket resale, which is another business they're getting into, or whether it is NFTs, which they're already in with Gary Vee and Candy. So, I mean, it's like there's no way in heck that there's no way in heck that they are going to that they're going to not be the star of the show as they should be because they just showed some real balls and stepped up. So, therefore, are you expecting them to come out with br- like with brand new brands that are going to become iconic and over the years have brand equity like like we have with say a Panini Prism or Upper Deck Ultimate, those sorts of things or or you know Tops Update or you know the, the all all the all the brands that people love every year. Are you expecting that Fanatics will create brand new brand new brands with new names and uh and innovate to make them sort of distinct from these old brands or do you think they will be there will be some copycat brands how do you see that playing out i think i think again there's there's very little total originality in our industry most of what can be done has been done i know everyone keeps talking about technical achievement and such really it's all taking things that are out there and varying them a little bit or doing something a little bit different there's hardly any completely out of the box minus nfts which was really out of the box the idea of selling pictures on the internet, which we're about to start doing too. I can't believe I said, I'm negative about it, but we are about to start doing it because people want it. Um, you know, I guess there's a little creativity out there, but I don't think they're not going to reinvent the wheel. And the fact is, I think they're going to do some of the same technology you've come to love if they go it alone and they'll put different names on it the same way I call chrome metal. It's still, it's still chromium. And the same way Panini calls it prism. Same concept. And you know what? 
People say they won't love it. And they were negative on Prism when Panini first did it. It's turned out pretty good, right? So, like, people can say, oh, I won't buy that if it's not tops. Yeah, sure you will. Or you'll quit the hobby, one of the two. Because that's going to be your choice if tops doesn't buy or sell, and they're not going to. Okay. Fanatics is known for distribution. You know, they, they, they've got they've got their, their tentacles are out there in, in other areas. Uh, speculation has occurred saying that Fanatics will take over distribution and eliminate the distributors uh, in the hobby. What, what do you think about that side of things? I think that's a fear. I mean, if you're a distributor, I think that's a fear. And I have a lot of friends. I have 18 distributors. Well, you know, we use some outside of the U.S., some in the U.S., yeah, that's a concern. The good news is the distributors, a lot of them already have great businesses without. These products obviously make them very rich instead of a little rich, but but like, you know, they have gaming. Gaming is a huge category still. And honestly, for me, those distributors are going to work way, way harder for me and for what's left of Tops and Panini if Fanatics keeps it themselves. And I promise you, we're going to have distributors really pushing our product, which is one of the reasons I keep saying Leaf is a big winner in this. You know, we were a winner in this. We, we, we came out of this unscathed, unbelievable. But I think, uh, yeah, I think I think that 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 channel could really have a concern on their hands. And I think, honestly, retail stores need to be a little bit concerned. I'll take yours a little further. I think you may be told how much you're allowed to make on products now. I mean, you don't know. That's how it is on memorabilia. You know, if you want to buy Trevor Lawrence stuff, the margins are not huge, but they let you buy it wholesale. But you know what? You have to pivot in your business and find ways to find higher margin areas elsewhere to make sure Best Buy doesn't get rich when they sell you a PlayStation. They make almost nothing. It's everything else in the store. They try to make some margin on the extra stuff to make their margin. So we may have to look at cards that way. You know what I mean? So but I, think, I think I think it's I think there's a lot of people who need to be a little concerned in the food chain. And honestly, I'm more concerned for the distributors than I am Tops or Panini. Okay. Okay. So there, so, you know, the message there is start learning how to adapt, start figuring out how you're going to adapt. If, well, uh, hobby, and that's, and that's probably going to be my industry summit speech to give you a preview is adapt or die. And you've heard it a hundred times, but like, this is serious now. Like the floodwaters are starting to rise a little bit. You have five years notice yeah. to seek shelter. If you don't do it, you deserve whatever happens to you. And this is where the best leaders have the chance to shine. They, they can figure that out. And, uh, and, and lead the charges to, uh, to to survival, if nothing else. Okay, so we talked about distributors. Let's talk about breakers and, 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 and card shops, the LCS that everyone is very passionate about. The LCS is, is, thought, is, is considered to be, you know, the fabric of the hobby. Speak to how you think this can affect, uh, let's start with breakers and let's go to, to the LCS. Hey, listen, and I even think the distributors serve a purpose. I hope Fanatics doesn't cut them because they do serve a purpose, even though, a lot of people think they just make a bunch of money. They provide critical financing, critical sell staff that are able to hit stores and breakers and dealers all over the country that it would take a new company five years to find every little guy. So they do provide a nice service. The LCS and the breakers do too. And so I really hope that if Fanatics goes it alone and doesn't take on the current distribution systems and all these things, that they don't forget these categories because these categories have been critical to the growth and the escalation of the excitement around the industry. And so I think we have to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. And again, over time, they're going to have this license for a long time. This isn't going back to tops three or four years later. Um, but with that being said, I think, you know, you know, I think, I think you have to pay attention to those categories. You can't blow them off. 
Okay, I'm going to bring up a comment here from uh, uh, a, a chatter I call Skeppy. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on this. He says, Fanatics isn't going to wait three to five years to start producing fully licensed product. You don't tell someone they're terminated and then let them stick around, especially that long. What are your thoughts? What, you, what do you say to that? Well, first off, Fanatics probably can't scale up in a year. To do this right, it's probably more scale up to hire the people. And honestly, if I'm a CEO at Panini, the first thing I do is I go in there and I say, guys, the next five years, we are going to make a lot of money. And you're going to make the most money you've ever made in your life. And I get those employees sticking right here and sticking by my side the whole five years because we're going to crush it. Because we don't stop running a race because you see the finish line. You run all the way through the tank. And that's got to be the attitude that these guys who are kind of lame duck or whatever you want to call it, that's got to be the attitude they have is we're running through the tank. We're going to kick butt all the way until we hit the tank. And so first off, an accident doesn't have a license yet, so they can't do it. If the insinuation is, well, they'll buy someone else so they can get started now. I think they know this industry's for real. That's why they made this investment. Like anyone who says the sky is falling, man, you don't have the first clue. You don't have the first clue. You know, you don't have the first clue. There's plenty of money to be made. This industry is going nowhere. And that's why they're making this investment because it's the easiest call ever. Cards are never going back to the way they used to be. Yeah, I, I can't see them coming out and doing this uh, without having extreme confidence that they can take the hobby as it stands today and even blow it up more than it's been blown up over the last year and a half to two years. Uh, so, you know, we talked about the LCS a little bit there, but what about direct to consumer? We've already seen top starting to do that. We've, we've seen upper deck does it. Um, I don't, I think Panini does it as well. Uh, leaf does it. Do you see the direct to consumer becoming a bigger part of the, of the hobby than it is already over time? And this is, this question could stand apart from the whole fanatics news, but try to weave in the fanatics news to, to your answer. Generally, yes, we've already seen it. That's the proof. But then you look who's doing this. This is fanatics. They are masterful at finding the consumer. I mean, you think about it, just in apparel, they own like all these different sites that are all skins of fanatics. So like it, it may say, uh, you know, fans edge, but it's fanatics. It may say this, but it's fanatics. You go to the, the Oklahoma Sooner store, but it's really fanatics. So like they're a master of grabbing market share by being everywhere all the time. You know, and so yeah. to me, if if they didn't have a heavy retail strategy, that's so counterintuitive. That's like, I mean, that's like Chick-fil-A saying we're not going to serve chicken anymore. Like, that's what they do. What Fanatics does is find ways to connect the consumer with their products through heavy marketing, unique ways of communicating with a collector, and, and honestly, a great interactive experience for the consumer. When you go on their site, their site's pretty slick. Incredible range of problems. I mean, they do so many things well. I mean, that's like one of the best things they do well. There's no way they're not going to make that a uh, make that a focus. And that can be a win for consumers. It could be a loss for consumers. It's really just going to. That's the problem. Every one of these things you can take both ways. If they go alone, is that good? It might be a fresh breath to the industry. But then when they have sticker autographs, which they're gonna, because everyone thinks they're not going to have stickers anymore, they may go all sticker for all you know, or almost all sticker which is the smart thing to do. I know no one wants to hear that. That's how you manufacture cards effectively now and don't have a bunch of redemptions. Get your products out on time. They're going to do these. They can't stop billion, million dollar, millionaires who are immature kids from not signing their card. They can't make them sign cards. 
And yes, maybe with their exclusive athletes and they've got 30 or 50 of them. What about 500 or 1,000 or 1,500? You can't make them all sign. That's silly. So like anyone who expects it to everything to be fixed that's ever been wrong, I suggest another hobby because this is not the one. It's never going to be that way ever. So one thing they do great, though, is connecting the consumer, marketing their brand, and everywhere you look, it's fanatics, 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 fanatics. And I think they do a great job of saying that. And that's why I believe they're going to keep saying fanatics, 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 not tops, 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 panini, panini, panini. Well, that that you know that view is counter to what a lot of people have been saying. But by people, I mean content creators, YouTubers, sure. who put out videos. And I think I dream more, of things too. Well, the, the, a lot of these people are speaking more from the heart than from what they know. They're they're speculating, but and and, and it's just because that's what they'd like to see. But as I said at the outset, we don't know what's going to happen yet. We do not know. Like the little engine that, like the little engine that could, and Dorothy. I think I can. I think I can. And there's no place like home. It's great to wish for things. And if you wish really hard, some of them may come true. But to expect them all to come true, you're holding someone up to a lofty expectation, and you're setting them up for failure. So I'm going to encourage people to give fanatics a chance. You don't have to like how this went down. I personally don't think the way it went down was good. Give them a chance. They haven't said one word yet. And we're already, half of us think it's the worst thing that ever happened. And half of us think everything that's ever been wrong in the industry is going to be fixed. There'll never be redemptions. There'll never be sticker. Get out of here. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Well, as far, you know, as, far as the speculation goes, you know, we, we've heard a lot of different uh, scenarios. And somebody's going to be right. You throw enough darts, you're going to hit the bullseye eventually. So someone out there is going to be able to look back and say, see, I told you so. And, and I look forward to that. That'll be a lot of fun. Speaking of sticker autographs, you know, you mentioned that they're still going to be happening. They're still going to be part of the hobby because of just the mechanics, the logistics of working with the athletes. Nat Turner sent out a, a tweet, I think, the day that the uh, announcement was made with his four kind of wish list items for the hobby. And one of them was no more sticker autos. Uh, the hobby responded by thinking that, well, if Nat wants that, maybe it'll happen. Speak to that quick. Okay. Here's the problem. If you want a guy to sign, especially a football player, if you don't get your stuff signed before the season, you're in big trouble. There's no way you can print every product for the whole year, every version of every product, know the print runs, have all the, have everything done and printed so you can send a guy 30,000 cards at one time. That's what you're asking for. Or you're asking to have some products come out before the season and then no products come out until after the season. It's so stupid. You know, it's not happening. So, I mean, honestly, I'm going to go one step further and say, if I'm fanatics on day one, I'm 100% stickers, 100%, because you might as well set the expectation right and then surprise when you can do some extra special on-card content. But if it meant eliminating redemptions completely, and if it meant the autographs don't fade off cards like 2001 SP pool hoses and cards like that, there's a, most of the problems with autographs on cards are on-card autographs. They're not stickers. Most of the smears and damages to autographs. Now, some autographs go a little off the sticker, and that's Beckett's fault for calling that eight or nine if the autograph goes off the sticker a little bit. But, I mean, really, most of the real flaws on cards in terms of the autograph are on card. Most of the redemptions in the hobby are caused because of on card. So, like, you would fix a lot of problems by going to all sticker. You really would. 
This year's medal of football was the first medal of football we've ever come out with with no redemptions. That's so you say you say you'd fix a lot of problems by going all stickers, but you would you would take away something that the hobby has grown to love, myself included. You know, I'm I'm a fan of on-card autographs. It may, you know, it gives it gives collectors the feeling that the player touched the card, they put they put the pen to the paper. And uh, and it, it, it's it's a very important thing to hobbyists so much so that Nat Turner put it on his his wish list, uh, and he spoke for a lot of people there. But it, it it it's a it's a it, it's a pipe dream. It seems like so you know it would get rid of a lot of issues. It would it would it would eliminate redemptions or to the extent that the stickers had are, are all received by the by the company. But do you do you see a time when it is all stickers? I, I think most of I think. Certain athletes will be stickers forever. Because I'm telling you, I've had Giannis sign for me, but there's a lot of Panini stuff that's not getting signed. And part of it is you can't get this guy to sit down and do anything. So, like, you 100%, if, if he's willing to sit down and sign, you get as much sign as you can. Because you may not get it again anytime soon. And, I mean, we've gotten some autograph deals that no one else is ever going to get. Because we get the guy to sit down, we take a ton of stickers, and just know that, that's it. When those are gone, we're screwed. And that happens all the time. So I hate it because that's like one thing. I, as a card purist, you don't think I like on-card autographs? Of course I do. I like the idea that the player actually touched the card instead of he touched. He didn't really touch the sticker. If he's got good penmanship, he keeps his hand up a little bit. He didn't even touch the sticker. The pin he touched touched the sticker. So, I mean, it's not even – I understand the purist doesn't like that. The same guy that says, I don't want any uh, player worn. You know who says that? People who don't understand what goes into the projects and into the cards. They don't understand that if you're making LeBron James exquisite in 2003-4, or not maybe exquisite, I don't know if exquisite was game-used RPA. I think it was RPA. But, like, those RPAs are the only way you're getting game-used jerseys for those rookie year cards. There's no game-used jerseys to cut up. So if you don't want to have the most iconic cards of all time having any kind of material in them, and you just want ink, this is what you get. And you know what? I think people make a choice, but you know what? As for as many people as say, I hate those, I hate those player worn. Go look at unlicensed Trinity baseball. Look how good those cards do. People like the patches because they're aesthetically kick-ass. And I think that's a piece of the equation. You can't ignore it. So yeah, we're going to lose some customers because they only want game worn, but guess what? More and more and more. That's not going to happen. I mean, I think, I think fanatics will do game worn where it's available. And maybe they won't do Terry Bradshaw player worn. Like, I have never done that. If I make Terry Bradshaw, it's game worn. So maybe they'll draw the line there. But on rookies, I think you have no choice and you just have to deal with it. Okay. So let's sticking on the, the topic of sticker autos, because there's a great comment that I'm going to bring up in a second. You know, one of the thing I'm, things I'm looking forward to, just in all of the unknown, is, is the innovation that's going to come, whether it's from product, distribution, manufacturing, whatever, whatever innovation we're going to see. Michael Ham brings up the commentary. He says, why can't we change the way the stickers are used on the product or change the sticker? Do you Good think call. we could see something that kind of makes the hobby forget that they're stickers? Is that it can that be innovated? Well, in a lot of in a lot of products now, you'll see we frame the sticker box really tight. And it makes it look like it's not a stick. You can see it's glossy still, but it makes it not stand out as much. We need to do better about doing that all the time. Instead of having a big wide open space where the sticker doesn't take it off, you see the outline of the sticker. If you really tightly frame it, you don't see the sticker as much. Now, with that being said, the problem with changing stickers 
is what about the 100,000 stickers you have in stock? Now you have two sizes of sticker. So every time you design a set, you got to figure out, hold on, is Giannis a small sticker or a big sticker? Then what if you change midstream with Giannis and you have some old ones and some new ones? Then you've got to say, well, we got to make a certain amount. It's just too hard. People have tried, like Upper Deck in the old days, tried to have other substrate sign. Like in the Aaron Rodgers exquisite, they had him sign the little, the little chips of paper that had the green and yellow background on it that they embedded in the card. So it was like a paper sticker. I think that stands out even more. I really do. And plus, you don't have flexibility. If you don't put it in that card, what are you going to do with the leftovers? You can't put that little chit in every other card. You know, I call it a chit, but like a little whatever it is, cut. You know, that's the problem. And so I think you, it's, again, these problems are very, very complicated. And trust me, if we could find a way to do all on card, we'd do it. It's not that easy. It just isn't. It's not that easy. And what we try to do is improve the value proposition for the consumer since we can't do, if that's not where our strong sales point is going to be, we try to deliver value another way, which is a Trevor Lawrence in 85% of cases. We just figure we, that's the least we can do if we can't deliver it on card. Let's just put a bunch of them in there. So a related kind of topic, uh, Wiz Collectibles says, what's going to happen to the redemptions and products that are released in the last year or two of manufacturing by these companies? Like how long are those companies going to be on the hook? Or do you think that fanatics would would uh, assume that liability? Well, here's the thing. I, first of all, I don't think they'll assume it. They shouldn't. Um, the good news is this is as BG as like a goodwill gesture to to their future customers. Honestly, how could they, how could they if if they don't have those cards or you know they have to buy it from uh, from from Panini? And that's well, that's a good way. See, listen, if they buy Panini, obviously they'll honor those redemptions. I don't think they're buying these companies. I really don't. No, but the card they have to buy the cards is what I'm saying. Yeah, those yeah, I don't, I don't cards. think, yeah, I don't think that's happening. I think what's more likely to happen is, and this is why I advocate live with the stickers because I promise you the redemption numbers could come way down before the end. Look what happened in hockey, and it wasn't Panini's fault. They struggled to get those last hockey redemptions back because once you're out of that business, it's very hard to get stuff finished. Like there's still hockey. I think there's still hockey redemptions out maybe. It's not clean, you know? And so it's just that's, – that's the negative part about this. But, again, the companies have five years' notice. Maybe in year four or five they're going to quit putting redemptions in of guys they think they have a very low likelihood of getting back. The problem with redemptions, just again, I hate, I always like to say this, the problem with redemptions is if we put Trevor Lawrence on the sell sheet and he doesn't return his cards, people say, well, just don't put the redemptions in. You want me to not put Trevor Lawrence in the product? Okay, that's a no-brainer. We put in the redemption. What about C.D. Lamb last year? Okay, C.D. Lamb's good. We should have put it in. What about Michael Gallup? Well, he's got upside. Okay, what about you know, you know, uh, pick Tristan, whoever, you know, uh, Delonte, pick a guy who's a who not a loser, but like a lower end player. Pick a lower end player. I don't even say a name. Okay, maybe we don't put redemptions in for guys that are dead in dollar autographs. And Panini does have points, so the last year they could just start throwing points and stuff. And, man, think of how good their store can be when it's time for them to get rid of the last of the customer service cards. That Panini Point store could really be kick-ass that last year. Because NFL is going to say you have to have everything out of there except for owed redemptions by a sell-off day. They're going to give them a sell-off day where everything's got to be gone or they have to destroy it. So they could really have some awesome opportunities at the end. It could be fun. Sticking with autographs, let's move to Michael Jordan for a moment. As alluded to earlier, a lot of people are – speculating i think it's really hoping though that uh some way somehow fanatics uh gets michael jordan to sign autographs 
Um, you know, my understanding, BG, and uh, let's see if you can corroborate this. My understanding is that Michael Jordan has a deal with Upper Deck. Michael Jordan owns a piece of Upper Deck, and Michael Jordan will only sign for Upper Deck. His, his autograph deal with Upper Deck is non-transferable, so as soon as Upper Deck is sold, that deal is null and void, and, uh, and, and he probably won't ever sign again if, if uh, Upper Deck is sold or becomes I mean, listen, I, I'm not Upper Deck. I haven't seen their agreement with Michael Jordan. Um, you know, I'm sure my lawyers have because we're in litigation with them, but I have never seen it. But I can tell you, I mean, to me, it doesn't really matter. I don't think the guy likes signing. I think he signs out of loyalty because Upper Deck has really been with him from the beginning. I could see those guys quit signing. I could see him. I don't think they like signing, especially cars, because their hands are so big. I mean, we're having that problem now, like Bill Russell. We can do a signing with Bill Russell tomorrow. The problem is he won't sign stickers. He'll only sign cards because his hands are too big and the stickers are a beating for him. And we're like, listen, we can print some cards, but it's like six-month lead time. Hopefully, he'll still be willing to sign them, you know? A lot of people a lot of people ask the question, why is it so hard to get a player's autograph by the card companies? Can you just... Can you just explain that to people who sure. may not have that inside sort of information, that, that those logistical reasons they, they may not be aware of? Sure. Yeah. Here's the problem. Yes. You see a lot of guys that do private signings, but it's less than it's a very small majority of guys in the leagues that do privates. I mean, I can run down the league and tell you guys, James Harden does not do private signings. You're not getting James Harden ever again unless you send him the stuff and let him sit with it. He's out. Russell Westbrook doesn't do privates. You're never getting him again. Uh, Nicola Joker, you see these guys, they don't do signings. It's like you're not getting the stuff. Kevin Durant doesn't do private signings. So if you want him, you're going to send him the stuff and deal with it. You know, and that's the problem is, yes, there's some guys that do. You'll have no problem getting, um, I'm trying to think, Duke Johnson to sign. Well, actually, no one's probably doing privates because Duke's nobody anymore. But you know what I'm saying? There's there's plenty of players that do private that are at every GT, uh, GTSM show. Sure, you can get Drew Brees to sign. He does signings three or four times a year. Nolan Ryan's a good guy. He'll sign, no problem. But I'm telling you, getting a young kid who makes $100 million or $50 million a year to sign is not easy. I'm telling you, you call them and they don't even call you. Their agents don't call you back. Or the agents, we're still trying to get redemptions from last year from C.D. Lamb and Justin Jefferson. And their agents say, dude, we're telling the kid to please hurry up. It's been over a year. And we say, do we need to threaten to sue him? And they go, we keep telling him to sign. You might have to sue him. That's what the agents tell us because the kids don't care. And I, I listen, and there's a troll over here that keeps talking. That I'll go ahead and address this Larry Smith guy who's probably a sports guard radio groupie. I mean, he keeps saying, you know, it's so easy. You know, it's so easy. These guys don't have a clue. Trust me, when you when you run a manufacturer and you actually know what it takes to, to make a living in this business, then you'll know what it takes to make a living in this. You have no clue. And the fact is the same troll was also saying Tops is bankrupt. I mean, this is the kind of idiot stuff that, and I'll say idiot because it's idiot. Yes, they have a $200 million loan coming up, but guess what? They're making 150, 200 million a year. If they need money, come to me. I'll find someone to give you a loan if it's secured against the business. No problem. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's just people trying to get clickbait on and trying to be controversial and talk a bunch of garbage. And right now that's the last thing we need. Like in the old days, I would have bashed my competitors or danced around if something bad happened to a competitor. No way, Jose. We're all on the same team. Right now, we need to rally the troops and pray that the products that come out are good products and that Fanatics does a great job. We want that. And we want Panini and Tops 
to figure out how to shift and, and, and pivot to be around. We do not want Tops gone. We do not want Panini gone. I don't think we want me gone. Larry Smith would like me gone. But Upper Deck, we don't want Upper Deck. I'm in a lawsuit with Upper Deck. I should want them gone, but I don't want them gone. Because a combination of all these things meets everybody's collecting goal. Some people like what I make. Some people like what we need everybody around. It's a shame that not everyone's going to have logos. But again, I keep teasing what I think is going to happen. And I think it's going to turn out just fine. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, okay. To address the, the troll that's been causing uh, some friction, uh, they've, been, they've been dealt with. Okay. Uh, I want to go back to the announcement itself. And the, what I heard was that Tops was blindsided by this, didn't even have a chance to meet this, to, to, to match the offer. What are your, what do you know about this? Cause I, I've heard this, but I haven't seen it anywhere specifically well, that I can verify, but I've heard. That I have, I have heard almost directly through one middleman. I've heard they were blindsided and they didn't go down. Like the article said, the article made it sound like they said, Hey, we got an offer for 60 million a year. Are you in or you out? And they said, we're out. That's how the article made it sound, right? That's hogwash. I don't think that happened. Here's how it could have happened. I love playing the game about could it have happened. Hey, Tops, this is Major League Baseball PA. I know we're not ready to renegotiate yet, but do you think like 80 million a year is possible next go around? And Tops goes, we only paid 20 this year. That sounds crazy. All right, no problem. Just wanted to see what you thought. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, I know you're going public next week. Surprise! You lost the license. Good luck getting 1.3 billion. That's what I think probably happened. And it's, you know what? Yes, technically they kind of gave him a shot because they kind of bounced some numbers off of him. They did not know this deal was over. I think they were under the impression there would be some discussion or negotiation. And it just didn't work that way. Maybe it didn't happen quite as fun as I made it sound, but I do think they were blindsided in the fact that they didn't know they were actively negotiating. It may have been a hypothetical that was posed to them, and it was really a that way we can say we talked to them, you know. But I, look, this was in the works. This was the plan. And again, I don't blame fanatics in the slightest. They're very shrewd, very smart deal, very smart deal. Getting the PAs invested so smart. That's why I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, let's don't lynch these guys yet or have unreasonable expectations. They might be able to pull this off. But I mourn for Topps products that we've seen and loved. And I'm more for Panini products because even though they're my competitors, I think they did a great job. Yes, they've had some little things like redemption things we hate, but they did a great job on the whole. Well, you know, from a collector standpoint, you know, collectors have gotten used to these flagship brands, these, these very important insert sets within them, the parallels, the gold prism parallels as an example. And, uh, to a degree, there's an there's part of me that actually thinks that if those are if those come to an end under those names, that they're it's going to be good for the people that already own them because you know by the year 2030, we're going to be looking back on these cards as if they are the the PMGs of the day of of, of the last era. People who can't afford them today are going to maybe be looking at them in 2030 and and wanting to own them along with collectors who like to build the set registries and have, you know, the LeBron James gold prism for every year, you know, it's nice to know there's a hard stop on that to, a, you know, for, it's, it's one perspective. It's also nice to know they're going to keep coming out, but some people will be like, okay, there, there, there's a defined amount of cards that I need to fill out this set and then it's done. 
I think that could increase the value of a lot of the cards that we've seen produced over the last 10 years. Your thoughts on that? I told someone yesterday, I think two of the best buys in the hobby are colored prisms numbered of the rookies, rookie years. That's one. But my big one is not even that. My big one is flawless and treasures, high-end cards. Because I got to be honest, we don't see them like exquisite now because they're still made. But when Kobe passed away that first year or two, flawless autographs of Kobe, they got really expensive. They were treating those like exquisite was five years ago, three years ago. This thing was already on its way. Look at Bill Russell, uh, flawless cards and National Treasures autographs. They're expensive. I'm telling you, I see this trend where people are already starting to look at it like a baby exquisite. If it disappears completely, I think that could be like I would even go out buying like patches of Maravich and Chamberlain. And I would buy autographs of even mundane guys like Dr. J and Magic and Bird. Because I think people will look back on those sets and they're going to be iconic sets when it's all said and done. Right now, they all kind of run together because there's a new one every year and they are only slight variations. But when it's gone, there's something different. It's kind of like Heath Ledger or Joaquin, uh, not Joaquin Phoenix, River Phoenix. No big deal when they're around. No one gives a crap. But when they die too young, everybody's in a, in a lather over it. These products are going to die too young if if fall if uh, fanatics doesn't buy them. Yeah, they become yeah, they become they become iconic. You know, more they're going to be iconic. Them. Yeah, yeah, and it goes for tops tops too. I mean, the tops the Bowman first rookies. The only thing is, I think they're going to keep making those. So I don't think those are going to disappear. But some of the flawless and treasures as we know them might disappear. Might not. So okay, let's go back and talk about the team that will need to be built in order to have great products still coming out post 2025, six, and then the, you know once the current ex uh, licenses expire. So we know again that Josh Luber, formerly of StockX, former guest of this show, uh, and one of my favorite episodes actually. Uh, we had a great conversation, so everybody can go back and and I, I actually encourage people to go back into the Sports Cards Live uh, archive and give a listen to that episode with Josh because he may have dropped the odd hint or two about Easter what, eggs. What, yeah, he, he might have exactly Easter eggs in there. He might have he might have put out a few Easter eggs to as to what might have been coming. So, and I I'm not saying that he did. I have to go back and listen. He might have. That's the beauty of an Easter egg. You don't know it until you, in retrospect, can find it. You know exactly. Yeah, I don't even know if it's there. So, you know, earlier on, I mentioned that you know, I'm friends with Carvin Chung. He's worked at at Upper Deck. He's worked at Panini. He's credited with inventing uh, and designing some of the uh, designing the structure of some of the most important sets in the hobby. Do you think that that Josh and Fanatics would? look to hire somebody and i'm not saying carbon in particular he's denied it although he may not know it yet at this point but you know do you think that josh and fanatics would would look to somebody like him and i ask it and i'll put it out there i think if they were to hire someone like that or carbon in particular that the hobby would be quite pleased because there's a lot of there's a lot of confidence in carbon and, and others like him what what do you think uh do you think that they would do something like that Here's the team. Here's the thing. A team, you have to consider the salary cap and the team's needs. And so you're going to have to put together a lot of pieces. This is the negative for not buying Tops or Panini. You can buy a team. The best team to buy is probably Panini. The best brands to buy is either Panini or Tops or Upper Deck because they're cheap. But like for operations, Upper Deck. Oh, 
the, I mean, Upper Deck has some of the best brands. No, no, the brands. No, that's good. Oh, that, they're okay. They did do a little damage with the Yu-Gi-Oh stuff back in the day. I think they're, I think Upper Deck as a brand has fallen a touch. But I think reinventing Flair and Exquisite would be fantastic, obviously. goes without Even Upper Deck goes without saying. But if you want a team, the best group team players is Panini. The people who work there. And, again, you want to take everybody, you can probably make some changes. But, like, that team is the best team for operational purposes. Now, everybody's got good brands. So what do you want? Or do you want to try to put together an all-star team? That's as you said, but as you said, BG, you expect them to come out with some new brands. So yeah. operations is one thing. I'm talking about creating the products that are going to make the collectors love collecting cards. They need five guys that have different visions for unique ways of making cards. Because if you have one guy imposing his vision, he can probably do some things well, but he won't do everything well. I have Greg Cohn, who's a superstar. The problem is he doesn't do everything well. He does some things well. I do a lot of our product development in certain areas. There are some things I do well, but then the things I don't do well, you can see those fingerprints on products when I do them and they're not as good as they could be. You can see my shortcomings in some products. So it's not about one guy. It's about five or seven great guys. And that's going to mean... You spend whatever it takes and you hire everybody who's good or you buy. I mean, honestly, the answer is Panini buy. I mean, uh, Fanatics buys every company. You buy all the companies. No one's there to sue you for antitrust. You buy every company and everything's peachy. Cost you about five, $5 million, $4 billion. Pocket change, right? Spend the $4 billion, Take the best of everybody. Take the best brands. Could you imagine taking the best brands from all four companies? Your lineup would be phenomenal. And if you took the best people from each company, took three from Leaf, 10 from Panini, 10 from Tops, five from Upper Deck, man, what a team you could build. I, I say it because they have less people. But I mean, I'm just, I'm not picking on them, even though I love to do that because they're my boys too. I love them. But, um, but I mean, I'm just saying you could build a great all-star team, but you're going to have to buy everyone to build the team you need. And I don't know if they're ready to spend $4 billion. Maybe. Well, I hope so. Because that, wouldn't that be so great for the hobby, Jeremy? Well, yeah, I mean, every brand. you said earlier that, you know, you, you can buy a team or you, or you have to start from scratch. And, you know, if they start from scratch, it's like they're an expansion team and they can now draft from all of the companies that they just. But they're going to have a tough two or three years because they're not going to hit the ground running. Whereas if they had all the brands and the teams, if they literally bought every company, their first year, they have more trading card sales than any year in the history of trading cards in year one. If they had all the brands and all the teams, are they willing to invest three and a half or four billion dollars to buy them all? Buy them all. So you think that's a possibility? What about what about plucking the people? Because you can get people to resign from an existing position and come over to to the new team, especially if the salary is going to make more sense for these people. And there's some I I know some great. You mentioned Greg Cohn. Yeah, shout out Greg Cohn. He does a great job, especially considering he has. Licensing limitations. You know, you've the got Luis Julio at Upper Deck. You got Chris. You got Chris Barra Panini. He's great. Do, they do great work. Here's the thing: if the companies are smart, they pay their employees like I played Greg Cohn. I pay Greg like a like a CEO or like a president of a company. I pay this guy like he is a Hall of Famer. So, like, they're not going to spend what it takes to get that guy. 
I mean, they're just not. And honestly, the guy's not going to want to go work for someone he doesn't know or a big corporate infrastructure. That's the other thing. A lot of these guys like where they're at. Because I know, I mean, Chris probably bleeds Panini. Chris Bar probably bleeds Panini. And I'll bet you the guys at Tops bleed Tops. I know Greg bleeds Leaf. And I'll guarantee you Mike Phillips at Upper Deck bleeds Upper Deck. There. They, they, they bleed these companies. But if these companies can no longer produce the products that make them so passionate about their jobs, then do they still bleed? Do they still bleed those companies? It depends. Do they have the balls to take on a different challenge or do they only want easy challenges? Because I'll tell you what, my whole career has been people telling me what I want to do is not possible. And I shove it up their ass every time because I don't take it. You tell me it's not possible. I'm double hard on it. I'm going for it. There's no stopping me. I'll show you. Let's see if they have that passion. I think they do. I think they do. Or do they want to be part of a team? And they may want to go to, you don't know. That's the thing. The best move is to buy it all, get the brands, hit the ground running. You'll make the money back. Don't worry about it. You got every brand. The hobby will hit new highs if all those brands existed in every sport. Take the three best things I do, the seven best things Upper Deck does, the 15 best things Benita does, and the 15 best things Top does, and you have the dream company. And again, you might say, well, the Leaf brands only have this much value, but guess what? I like to think someone who's wildly creative and who has a passion for trying to change how we do things, there's value to that. That's me. There's value in... Panini's infrastructure and marketing and the things they do well. There's value in that. Tops has a legacy and a history. There's value in that. Upper Deck has iconic brands, and they were the first innovators in many of these spaces. There's value in that. I pray to God that they see that value. And if they do, 2026 will be the greatest year in the history of the hobby. But honestly, I think they got to buy it all. Because if you don't, whoever's left, as you're going to hear my supposition at the end, whoever's left is in the best position. Anyone who doesn't sell will be in a fine position, as you will find out. Okay, so we're, we're going to get to your, your supposition at the end here. But before we do, I noticed Brody was in the chat. And Brody is kind of known for uh, going to the Tops booth <coughs> at the National several years ago and saying, what do I have to do to work for Tops? And basically, he, he's kind of in line. He's almost a, you know an employee in training and has been for many years. He's got a great profile in the hobby, a great reputation. He's a friend to both of us. You know, what do you say to not only Brody, but the kids in the hobby right now who are just getting in? We know there's more kids now in the hobby than we've seen in a long time. The National is filled with kids from the ages of, you know, six or seven right up to the late teens. What do you say to these kids who have who who have a they have they have a connection to the Tops brand, to the Panini brand? What do you say to these kids? And to Brody, who is now might need to start appealing to fanatics instead of tops. I think Brody's doing just fine. Because to me, an understanding of the hobby, a deep understanding, is not about today or tomorrow. It's also about the past. And you've got to have some fair blend of history, what people want today and being visionary about what they don't know they want yet. And I do believe that we can still think of, and again, I'm coming out with two or three things that are going to blow people's minds. They're going to blow because no one's ever thought about doing what I'm about to do. And I'm taking a big risk, but I know this is the right move. And when I do it, people are going to say, that guy is nuts. And it's going to work and it's going to be phenomenal. 
but like I got to get all my pieces together before I pop them and before I shock people. But I think for a kid like Brody, he's doing just fine. He's a smart kid. He's got high energy. He loves this. He loves the collectible business game, hobby, whatever it is. If he wants to work in this hobby, Brody, you give me a call when you're 18 or at 21 after college. You know, there's there's always going to be room for a kid like that who's high energy and loves and loves it. All right, what do you think? You you've got you've got some big idea you want to share with everybody. I mean, well, I'm I think, ready for it if you are. Here's here's where I'm at. Okay, and again, I've I've told you I already believe Leaf is a winner in this. It's unfortunate because again, I'm not I'm not celebrating because I'm mourning the potential loss of certain brands. I've told you I believe Fanatics should buy all the noteworthy companies. If you want to leave Sage out there, I don't think Sage is going to make a difference. You can leave them, but noteworthy companies you need to buy. If you don't. I believe one of two things are going to happen. And they're both wins for Leaf, which is why I'm, I feel I just, I believe this. I know it. Number one is the companies take my model. And you see the model that people have laughed at or criticized or been critical of or whatever for the last 10 years. And it's vindicated. When Bowman continues to come out with airbrush jerseys, when Panini comes out with airbrush jerseys, or they'll make NIL products for a few years. But if you think Fanatics is going to stop with pro stuff, I'm sure they're going to try to take the college stuff away, right? So, like, ultimately, they're either going to come my way, come to Papa, and do airbrush jerseys, which gives great vindication to what I've been saying for a decade, which is you can say the jersey is the most important thing. But at the end of the day, the ink and the player matter the most. And I'm telling you, if you think people are going to quit buying Bowman, because they don't have jerseys on, it's airbrushed, get out of here. They're not going to. They can tell you they will because they don't want that to happen. But when the time comes, they're going to buy those brands. So that's option one, is they all use airbrushed jerseys just like I do. And they're, and they're going to be successful at it. Guess or, they take, or they just kind of crop it out like the Steph Curry rookie card. The Steph or Curry you find stuff in their face in the wrong way or things like that. You know, like you're in the back of a swing and you see the name and you don't see the look. We all get creative, you know, but I think option number two is a, is a bigger mind blower, which is everybody just puts the logos on their cards anyway. Now, case law, again, I'm an IP closet lawyer. And Paul Lesko, our buddy, our legal expert, will tell you I read every case. I study this. I have my lawyer write opinions for things that, um, you know, I write opinions for things that don't even, I haven't write opinions for things I'm not going to do. Just I'm curious what their position is on it. Because I just want to have it in the back of my head. So, I mean, I'm big on this. Here's the thing. 1994, Pacific Spanish Baseball. They make the cards in Spanish and use the logos without a license. Major League Baseball sues them, and it's like, uh-oh, big trouble. Pacific's going to win. So to shut Pacific up and not get the loss on the books, that the logos are okay, they give them a license. 2008, Upper Deck, my favorite company, writes a brief where they get sued by Major League Baseball that might be the single greatest piece of legal work in the trading card industry, explaining why you don't have to have a license to use the logos on the jerseys. Now, you can't take the Orioles logo and put it in the bottom, like on a Topps card. You can't do that. But showing them in an Orioles jersey, you can do. And without getting too legal, there's two sets of precedents. One is fair use. And one is work uniform that allow you to use these jerseys. You're allowed. Why has no one done that then? Well, first off, 
I'm the only idiot that would have benefited because the other companies can't ever test the law because they have a license from someone. So if Panini had tested it on baseball, football and basketball would have torn their heads off. If Tops did it in football, baseball would have ripped their heads off. So I'm the only guy who would have benefited from testing it. Why would I want to test it? I'm like number two in every sport. Like I'm in a great position here. And if Thompson Panini quit making baseball and football over this, I get to be number two in every sport now. I mean, you think about that for a minute. That's a very strong position. If these companies are smart, what I do is you probably should use the logos and fight that fight. That fight's going to cost $5 million. That's it. Now, two years ago, that was a lot of money for me. Now it's not a lot. I can pay that myself now, no problem. But you get three or four companies that all use the logos. That's going to be a pretty formidable fight. It's going to go all the way to the Supreme Court. It will go to the Supreme Court because they're going to flip-flop rulings all the way up until it's finally ruled that you're allowed to use them. And if that happens, every league's licensing revenue is down the toilet forever when the Fanatics deal's over because those logos will mean nothing. No one wants that to happen. That's option number two. Option number three, which I hope is not the case, I hope that if Fanatics does go in on their own and doesn't buy the other companies, I hope they allow the other companies to compete in a fair way. Because if they use their monopolistic position to harm the other companies beyond just having the licenses, this will be the greatest antitrust lawsuit in the history of the hobby. Paul Lesko will have to quit his job. There'll be so much to write about this. And Fanatics is not a company that needs to needs to do that. They don't have to be predatory. They don't have to be. They do a great job at the things they do. They'll do their job well. So I don't think it's going to come to that because I don't think they're going to act in a way that's illegal or predatory. So I think most likely option one or two happens. Either Thompson Panini come to BG's way of doing things. And suddenly, instead of being a heel, I'm a hero who called it like Nostradamus. Or number two, they use the logos and we have a big legal fight, which I don't really want to do that either. Because honestly, I'm, I'm past all. I used to love lawsuits like it was fun. This isn't fun. Upper Deck wore me out. It's not fun anymore. This is horse crap. We make plenty of money. We don't need that crap. So, But I think any of those three scenarios could happen. And they're all very interesting to watch. But none of them are really great for the hobby. You know, maybe, maybe them doing airbrush stuff is good for the hobby. That's probably the best good for the hobby answer. Or challenge the logos and let's go to court. And then with no rules, everybody can make cards. How great is that? I'll go one further. I don't think you need a license to use the player either. How about that? Because if you have a cover of SI Magazine, you can put Albert Pujols on it with, with no permission. So why is that cover any different than a trading card? If the trading card has biographical and newsworthy information on the back, it's media just like the magazine. Don't believe me? Who would have said the internet was media? Like when, when the internet first started, if I had told you, well, there's this place in cyberspace that's like a magazine, you would have laughed at me. You said, no, a magazine has pages. But now we consider TMZ a protected First Amendment source. Trading cards are exactly the same. So I'm telling you, there's like 50 roads this could go down. The best road is Fanatics buys all the companies. They're going to get a little bit better deal than they would have otherwise because of the circumstances. And on day one, they hit the ground running. Fans are happy because all the products they love are back. I mean, it's a great situation. I don't think it's going to happen. But that's the best case situation. So anyway, I gave you four or five possible routes it could go. And it's like the movie Clue. Have you ever seen the movie Clue? They had like six different endings. 
depending what theater you went to, you saw a different ending. I wonder which ending we're going to have. It's going to be fascinating. But it's probably not going to be the one any of us expect. That's the beauty of it. How about that? Was that a whole bunch of stuff thrown in two minutes or what? Yeah, I mean, it was, but I'll, I, I'm going to, you know, no offense, but you, did, you didn't blow my mind. Like, I, I was I was expecting about, something even bigger. Like you think, something hold bigger. on. You think, you think these companies using the logos without permission isn't a big deal? No, it's a big, it's a big <laughs> deal. But I, I don't know what I was expecting. It's a big deal, but it's, when you think about it, it's kind of an obvious alternative. So, you know. It's not really obvious because these companies have never, ever gone against the leagues in any way. They've stayed on the – I'm the one that, like, walks the tightrope where it feels like I'm going to fall in an alligator pit every two minutes. These guys don't do that. They play it pretty safe. They really do. I don't play it safe. You know, I know what the law is, and I, I tread that line so carefully. I really have to, like, make sure that I'm not dizzy or I'll fall in. You know, but I'm telling you – I think any of those options are drastic. An antitrust lawsuit where I team up with Topps, Benini, they're not going to do anything to deserve that, so I don't see that being an issue. But, like, what if they were heavy-handed and tried to wipe out the competition after that? That would be amazing to see strange bedfellows like that, wouldn't it? That's intriguing. Seeing these companies that have been saying for years that airbrush cards don't have value, only, only buy the logo, seeing them come to the dark side, these are epic things. Like, if Topps does that, that is, like, earth-shattering. Because that has not been their corporate culture today. Not okay. at all. No, so I, there you I go. Agree. So not as exciting as you wanted. I could have said I'll turn into a rabbit and dance around and put spells on people, but that would have blown. I don't my have mind. anything more to say. You know, that's all I can come up with. That would have blown my mind. All right, uh, Jordan Hudson. Yes, I did, and yes, you did see me do that. That is correct. Uh, Craig says, Brian. So, what's the most likely scenario out of all these things? What do you believe is the most likely? I think the most likely scenario is either I think scenario one or two. I think either they use they make products without logos and they come my way and they recognize that people care about the brands and the players and the autographs. Or I think they use the logos without permission because they don't need permission. And if and I know that they know my legal argument on this and I and I believe they know it's true. We just never got to find out before. We may find out now. It depends how bad they're pissed off, which is really why, again, I keep going back to Fanatics needs to buy all these companies because you don't need a company that's got an argument to make us think. You've got a chance to dominate the world. Dominate the world in a friendly way instead of as an overlord, you know, and they can do that. They're a good company. They can do it. And they're rich. They're rich. This is nothing. They're going to go public for $30 billion. They say $18 billion. It's going to be $30 billion. Take some of that extra $12 billion and just buy these companies and wash them off the map. Yeah. Take those brands and do great things. So as the new Instagram sensation account, Pardcorn says, all endings lead to fanatics dominating. Is that kind of how you see things going? No, I, no, I don't think it does. I think that's why they got to be smart. I think they got to be smart because I think there are roads that lead to discourse. And I think they are smart. They know what they're doing. And I think you're going to see it. I think you will see something that, will allow for coexistence at least if they don't buy some of the, they don't have to buy them all, but they'll buy some of these companies. They either buy some of the companies or they'll find some way to coexist. I've seen a couple of comments in the chat here. People are, are really interested in the poker chips that you might be shuffling. It's not me. It's definitely you. It's not you. Not me. All right. I don't know what I well, thought I heard. It I need some. Hey. You're the only chips I'm counting are the ones I'm gaining from uh, 
this maneuver here. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't really have anything else to ask you at this point. Uh, I'm going to scan the comments quick. There are some good here. This one, this one is, uh, this one I think is a, a just a, a ridiculous idea. But a DR says, what do you think about a card company creating a home printing system? Sell me the home printing system, the card stock, the ink, and the software to design my own. Oh, I get it. If you're just designing your own card, that's not, I think that's an okay idea. That's a creative, that's a creative sort of thing. What I thought they were getting at was print your own cards from the card company in like a 3D printer. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think there are guys already printing cards at home. The problem is they're infringing on the rights of other companies and doing so in athletes. You know, that's the important look on eBay. You'll find a whole bunch of homemade printed cards that are garbage. Overtime, uh, where did it go here? Overtime grading says, I'm worried about one company controlling the whole industry. Your, your comments on that. Again, monopolies that I've learned from the upper deck case, monopolies are not illegal. Monopolies that use their monopolistic position to harm consumers or competitors are. And there's a world under which fanatics can be the big dog and do it great and not harm collectors. They'll probably end up fixing some of the things people don't like about the industry. Because I think the odds of an $800 National Treasures factory cost box being $4,000 or $6,000, I think that decreases a little bit in a fanatic scenario. I don't think that box goes to $6,000. It's the current distribution system that allows that to happen. So it's good and bad. If you're happy when products go to 6,000, then that's bad because it won't happen probably. But if you think that's a travesty and those boxes should be 1,200 or 1,400, then you might be happy with a fanatic situation because they are going to be more likely to distribute in a fair way or in a different way. I won't say fair, a different way that allows for a more behaved secondary market, which again, volatility is our friend. Isn't that part of why we love this business because things shoot up in value? That may not happen quite as fast in a new world. And if it doesn't, you can complain about volatility when you have to pay the price. But when there's no volatility, is it still exciting? I don't know. These are That's why this is so exciting because you just don't know. Every one of these things can go either way. It's a beautiful thing. I think it's exciting to some people and it isn't other. The traditional collector doesn't really care. The uh, the new A lot of the new entrants uh, like, enjoy the volatility. Um, CC makes the comment that Panini already prints baseball cards with no logos, which, which we know because they, they have do. Now, here's the difference yeah. right now, they do photo shoots through the MLBPA to get the players' pictures, so they actually have photo shoots with the players. Now, when you don't have the PA deal, you've got to find photography, and photography is one of the ways these monopolies become illegal because they also have a relationship with Getty that says, Don't license images to leave, so like we can't get images from Getty because. The leagues have said, hey, don't give them to leave. But when you couple that with an exclusive and some other things, that's when monopolies turn illegal. And so that's going to be a question. But it'll be much harder to get images. That's for sure. And you'll see, we have to get super creative to find images of our guys. Ken Golden wants to know, Brian, what was the best closeout deal you ever got from me? And just for anyone in the chat who's wondering, this is the real Ken Golden. We verified that last night. Yeah, no, I love Ken. And I'll tell you, we used to go up there. And it felt like it, it may not have been every payroll, but it felt like it was almost every like every other week or every three, four weeks. And me and JW, who owned Edgeman at the time, we'd go up there and we'd say, Ken, we're going to meet you at 8 o'clock in the morning. And first off, you knew that was never happening. Because at 8 o'clock in the morning, Ken hadn't gone to bed yet. 
So we knew when we said we'd be there at 8 o'clock in the morning, that meant 5.30 to 6 p.m. So we'd go stroll through the with with, with security through the uh, through the school board warehouse and make notes all day of all the things we wanted to buy. And then we'd come in and buy stuff. But we bought a few doozies. But the best one ever was probably we bought one trip. I think we bought 3,000 or 4,000 Aaron bats and 4,000 maize bats at like $40 a bat. <laughs> No, I mean, if you know what, what Willie Mays bats are worth, we paid like 40 bucks a bat. And we bought like 4,000. Because, I mean, Ken was whipping out memorabilia and numbers that no one has ever seen in their life. No one's ever seen these 4,000 Nolan Ryan baseballs. 3,000 Nolan Ryan. And it was nothing. Like, we didn't even make a dent in their inventory back then. We take 3,000 on our mess, but they had 18,000 there. What's the big deal? Peel off 3,000 for Edgeman. You know, that's crazy. You know, crazy. But I mean, those were the great glory days of the business. And I'll say one thing. People like Ken paved the way for people like us. When I say like us, like Leaf, because he was classic. Yeah, that was a that was a break the break the rules, not break the rules, but like stretch the limits kind of company. I think that's why I always consider Ken a friend, because I'm very much the modern day version of what he was back then. I'm just having to like take it up a whole new notch to compete with the new market. But yeah, we had some great deals back in the day. I loved it. And those were beautiful. They made me happy. I got to say, if I kept it all, I wouldn't be running leaf. I'd be on a beach somewhere. All right. Uh, Rock Latex makes a very good point. He, I like how BG held his hands up to show he had no poker chips, but he could just leave them on the desk and nobody would know. This is what's on my desk right now. I got a, I got this and I got a phone. This is... So I can like slip my throat if that guy who was harassing me earlier comes back. And the phone I've got just in case, you know. So, but I, no, I don't have anything good here. I wish I did, but I like I like your conspiracy theory. <laughs> Overtime grading. We did touch on this already, but you know we've had people come and go. So let's just let's just touch on this one more time. He says, "Do you think Fanatics will still wholesale to stores, or will it all be under their online umbrella? This could destroy card shops." Um, I don't want it to. I mean, I hope not. And again, this will be my, I think my summit speech, I'm really honing in on pivot. It's all about the pivot. And you have five years notice. You better freaking pivot. You better, you better plan for every possible. And I'm seeing I'm ruining it by talking, but you're planning about every possible scenario. Because when I come up with ideas, I think about every possible way this could go and how I'm going to handle it if this happens or this happens. Now, I'm trying to think two steps ahead. And I think stores have to do that. I do think they'll wholesale the stores. The question is, will the stores be able to make enough margin to be as successful as they want to be? I don't know. Because I know on memorabilia, they don't give you margins that are crazy. You know what I mean? I think they give you they give you a margin you can maybe squeak by on. You know, you can make a little money, but you're not getting it half off. Well, if we're not doubling your money on those items. If you want to buy a Trevor Lawrence helmet, you're not going to double your money. You're going to make 20 25%. And if you can live on that, I think stores will do great. I think stores have probably gotten used to making a little more money than that. So that's why every store in America should be breaking, whether it's local or online, they got to be breaking. And, and again, you can find ways to innovate that. So it's, if you don't like breaking as a principle, you find some other way to let people break from home late at night when the store's closed or whatever it is. We do personals where it's not selling teams and all that crap if you don't like it. But we just got to find different ways to do this. And I think the stores can make it, but I think there are going to be a lot of stores that don't because they're not going to pivot. Because guess what? We've been doing stuff like this a hundred times and people don't always pivot. Not everyone does what they should do. 
and those guys will be a casualty. The good news is the people opening stores are the smartest group of people that have ever opened stores. These are the smartest, the, the most well, I mean, they're the most polished, intelligent, smart people that are coming into this industry with money opening stores. This is not your average hobbyist opening a store today. Not that average hobbyists aren't all those things, but we have a breed of professionals coming in that are going to be very good at pivoting. And I just hope the OGs have learned a thing or two about pivoting. Yeah, that, that's that I agree with you on the on the card shop part. There are some uh, ones that have been around for a while that do have that, that have just been challenged to uh, to really keep up with with the times and technology. But a lot of these new ones coming in, they're embracing it. That they're, they're you know some of the real younger, uh, motivated and ambitious uh, people who are coming in and opening stores have done a, a great job. That's for sure. So, I guess time will tell. All right. We are at the hour and a half mark, Brian. We've had great viewership. I want to thank you for joining. I want to thank all of the, everybody in the chat, all the viewers. Welcome. You know, if you're new to this, if you're new to Sports Cars Live, I do welcome you. If you're not yet subscribed to this channel, please go ahead and do so. Greatly appreciate it. Lots of episodes coming in the future, several in the backlog. So lots for you to catch up on if you want to go back and take in about i don't know 400 hours of content that i put out there so far if you do i recommend watching it at no less than 1.5 speed mm-hmm. brian you know parting words uh actually but you know what's your time like are you good for a couple more minutes i'm good people can ask questions or we can chat whatever i don't care yeah. i don't care about the topic whatever y'all want okay yeah let, let's but do I was that. Gonna we're not, say we're not gonna felt, wrap it felt very unsatisfying being done after an hour and a half I it's know. like we just got we just got through the introductory stages of the fun, you know. I, I know, man. I know, but you know what? It's Sunday night. It's late. I, you know, it's not like you've been talking every day on here or anything. No, that's yeah, exactly, exactly. No, we can do it. We can take some. We can take a few questions. We're not going to go for much longer. Maybe about about ten more minutes or so. Uh, while I watch for the next question that I'm going to uh, bring into the show, I do again. I just want to thank every. I want to thank UBG for your time tonight on short notice. I want to thank the chat, the viewers. Uh, amazing viewership lately. Again, I appreciate all the subscribers, appreciate all the nice comments, all the support the channel has received uh, over the last several months. It's been, it's been just outstanding. So I'm um, very, very grateful that, you know, it's the audience, it's the chat that makes this. Uh, if Mike Fruitman is watching, I hope I did you proud tonight, Mike Fruitman. I know you had a special request. I believe I honored that tonight for you. Yeah, you, you did. I did, didn't I? I did. Yeah. So all right, let's see if we have an I mean, Oh, you know what, Brian? I had one question for you. So while I'm waiting for a good one from the chat, I'm going to ask you this. Not a good one, but one that I want to use. <laughs> I'm going to, if, you, if you could send one piece of advice to the team we know it's fanatic so far, for sure, is Josh Luber. If you were, if you were going to spend, I don't know, for all I know, you have spoken to him. But if you, if you could send him one piece of advice for the, you know, this, this, mission he's about to embark upon what would you tell him i mean honestly and this is not a good collector popular opinion and it kind of fits in with something someone just brought up in chat about leadership yeah I, I like this that stage, what you have to do and i've learned because initially i was like the wind i was like a flag in the wind whenever someone would say something i just suddenly shift my opinion and, and i start, every time someone suggested something i try to integrate everything and then i realized that I've got to have a clear vision of the plan, where I want to go, what we want to do, and then incorporate people's feedback in ways that are practical and really applicable. 
And I think Fanatics is going to have to decide which direction they're going. I've given them a few ideas. I'm sure they've already know what they want to do. They probably have a long game to wait this out and see what happens so they can have more information in their decision-making. But I think I would urge them really to figure out their game plan, do what they need to do to be successful, and don't let every – again, I, this comes – I don't mean it like this, but I don't want every collector's opinion. You can't let that cloud what the right thing to do is right. for not only your business but for the industry. And there's a lot of moving pieces. It's not just sticker autos. It's redemptions. It's all these pieces all fit together. You can't have them all. So they've got to figure out what they actually can do and what they can't do. Then within that, listen to consumers because that's something not every company does well. We really listen to consumers, sometimes to a fault. We really listen to consumers and find ways to plug and play that within what's really possible. And I think if they stay the course and do what they need to do and say, listen, people are going to get pissed about stickers, but that's the battle we're going to have to lose in order to win five more battles. I hope that they'll do that analysis and say, let's don't try to be everything to everyone. Let's be the best we can be knowing that we're not going to execute perfectly. And then put the perfect team together. And you're probably going to have to buy the team and buy all the companies, but you'll do the best you can. And if you have to build it one piece by one piece, it'll take you two or three years to, to get up to speed, but that's okay too. You're going to have the license for the next 20 or 30. Don't worry about it. Okay. Take, in, take a second and, and address uh, DR's question about like how have you developed your, your leadership style over the years? Because I was terrible. When I first started, I was a bull in a china shop. I knew the best on everything. I was perfect. And I had a vision for what I wanted to do. And my employees were instructed what to do. And there was not an exchange. And I learned, and again, I've gone through a whole personal change in my life. I, I treat people very differently now than I did 10 years ago. I mean, I literally love people. Not because they're in my circle or I have to love them, but because they're people. And so, I mean, even critics of mine, I still, it's not like I hate them because they're, they're dumbasses. You know, I still like them. It's okay. Like some idiot in the comments, I mean, thinks I'm the CEO of Beef. What a, I love you. I love you, but that you're is the idiot. dumbest thing I've ever heard. But I have no problem with a guy trying to be funny. That's great. That's great. But it's stupid. But anyway, but I, mean, I think generally I start listening to people. Not just what I think is the perfect way to do it, but what my people think. Was and there what the collector thinks. And when the printer tells me, Brian, what you're trying to do is not smart. You're going to screw this up. You're trying to do something technology-wise technology, technology -wise that you can't execute. And I used to say, just do it. And then the cards would come in and they wouldn't be what I'd want. And I'd be like, oh, crap. And half the time I'd throw them away and just waste the money. But I finally started listening to people. That's a big, that's a big change to learn how to listen to people. And you're not always right. I'm very strong in my opinions, but I'm not always right. And once you start caring about your team and caring about people, you're in good shape. Was there a, a moment or a catalyst that when, when you changed your style from just, you know, barking orders to actually listening and, uh, and, and, and collaborating? See, and you know, it's funny. It has nothing to do with business. You know, our family, we, um, you know, we, we got into a program where we took like, there'd be like families that were having troubles and they needed a place for their kids to stay for like a day or two. So we took these two little kids in. They were seven months old and two years old, six months old and two years old. They were coming to stay with us for the weekend. And they lived with us for almost a year because the mom and dad needed more time to get their life together. And I totally changed my whole life then. The whole way I look at people and things changed because I used to be a bull in a china shop. 
I really only cared about doing the things I thought I needed to do for my success and for my well-being. And it was all about me. And then when I realized I started caring about other people, that included the people I, I, I do life with, my team. And that changed how I led in my, in my office. The way I lead my family changed because I was no longer the center of the family. It's my family. And then the way I treat customers and collectors, when they call me screaming, the way you interact with them changes forever. So it's so funny. It's nothing hobby related. It's just an attitude shift on life. And when you can plug and play that everywhere, that's great. And Ken Golden doesn't buy the new kind of gentler me. There's a time to be a bulldog, but I'm still a softy. You know, I'm still a softy. There it is. He's not. <laughs> I buy it. I mean, you, you, I've hung out with you plenty. You're, 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 you're a. I still play to win. I still play to win, but at not at any cost. No. And I'm not going to crush people for sport. And I remember the first year I did the summit, I got up there and I reamed. I tore Panini a new one. That's the show where I cussed and I got banned for a year because I cussed on the stage during my speech. And it was a great speech. If you watch it on YouTube, it was a legendary speech. But I learned sometimes you don't have to be a bull in a china shop to be an effective communicator and to share your vision for how things can be better. I didn't have to do it at someone's expense. And I'm really ashamed of how I did that at their expense. There was a better way to do that. So who knows? All right. All right. I appreciate that. It's really, uh, it helps us get to know you a little bit better. Let's go to Anthony George's question. He wants to know, what was the most expensive item you've purchased to make cards out of? I mean, really, we've. I think the biggest things we've ever cut, I think we bought an Orr jersey for 75K. Bobby Orr? Yeah, Bobby Orr Gamer. I mean, the Vezina pads were very expensive. You know, they were bought before I got there, but that might be the single most expensive piece. But, you know, as far as cuts, I tried to buy a Steve Job cut in the uh, R&R auction, and I was the underbidder because no one's ever made a Jobs cut before. I thought that would be sick. It would have been like a 50K card, but uh, we couldn't get it. So I'm cutting up some Steve Jobs worn – I'm cutting up a Steve Jobs worn jacket. I cut up a piece of the bloody car seat from the JFK motorcade. So, like, there's – we've cut up some crazy stuff, but really the most expensive probably is a simple, you know, a simple uh, Bobby Orr jersey that's – you know, run of the mill, seventy-five thousand dollars jersey. Run of the mill. Okay, thank you for that. And uh, Anthony, there you go. Um, all right. That I think that might be it. That might be it. Uh, Unless you want to talk about beef and cold cuts for the next I'm, hour. I'm trying to. <laughs> you know what's funny is I, I love people, but like really, you would think when you have a chance in the most crazy week of the hobby to like have some exchange about like. What else is there? What are we not seeing? Is there more that we haven't pondered yet? The best we can do is where's the beef? I mean, well, really. we have, we've covered we've covered a lot of ground. We have, we have. I was more commenting about these last few porn cobs or whatever they're called, card porns or porn. What, what are they called? Bill Cold makes a cobs. comment. We've been we've been here for almost two hours. You know, people are getting hungry. They got food on their mind. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. I still love everyone despite the humor. Skeppy says, I have to say, Brian does articulate and explain things well. Got to agree. And Carvin says, yeah, it just tells it the way it is, unfiltered. That is why That is that is why uh, the episodes you come on here with me are, are very popular, for sure. Um, okay, man, listen, anything else? Anything else? Well, I mean, I told you guys, the last thing I'll tell you is I still believe that, I mean, and again, even if Fanatics doesn't buy Topps, Panini, us, Upper Deck, whoever, I would still make a bet if someone wanted to bet me that one or more of those companies get bought by someone else or they sell stakes in themselves to someone else. 
Because I've heard in the last few days there are people sniffing around these companies that are not named Fanatics. And I'm telling you, and again, when Darren Ravel says Thompson's worth 400 million, no wonder there's people sniffing around. That's like that's like a blue light special at Kmart. But like there are people who still look at these businesses and see value there. And I would not be shocked to see at least people selling stakes. Like maybe uh, one of these companies sells a 20 or 25% stake or a 10% stake. I think things like that could happen for sure because there's a huge future in this industry, whether it's league licensed cards or whether it's player licensed cards. We've proven that that's a viable model. Okay. My last question that I promise this is over. What is next? What do you see happening for Leaf in the next uh, year or so? I mean, listen, we honestly, we, we've looked at a lot of opportunities. We've had, we've had a number of people talk to us. We have two new people that have come to us in the last five days asking about doing something maybe. And honestly, we're getting so bullish. This is like a real soul search here. I, I got to be honest. I am more bullish about Leaf today than I was on Wednesday. This news makes Leaf better. No doubt about it. Leaf is a Leaf is better positioned today than we were five days ago. So that's the question is, do we need to look at common? We were always looking at strategic opportunities. In the interim, we're going to put our head down, keep executing. And we've got five years to continue to refine what we do before the other companies have to do the same thing we do. And in the next five years, we're hoping that we can continue to cement ourselves as a company who knows how to make products without league licensing and do them well. And I think we do that. I think Metal and Trinity prove that we can do that well. We'll see. But in the interim, who knows? I don't know if we'll do a deal or not. I don't know if Fanatics would even be interested in someone like us. They may not be. Who cares? You know, we'll do what we need to do. But I, I the one thing I will say is I wish everybody luck, whether it's Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Fanatics, us, the hobby stores, the distributors. I hope that we have some level of status quo because we have a really good trading card community. We really do. Lawsuits aside with me and Upper Deck, when we depose them, we like we're catching up about the old days, me and Mike Phillips. And he was like, man, I'm surprised you're not mad at me. I said, dude, we're OGs, bro. Even if we don't agree on everything, we're like the old guard, man. And so I think we have such a good community. I hope no one gets hurt in the process of shifting. But I think everybody here is smart enough and has enough money to pivot. And I think we're all going to pivot in ways we need to. And I think the hobby is going to look pretty good still in 2026. That's a long way too. Five freaking years. I mean, we're getting such a lather over five years from now. It's crazy. It is. It is. Well, there's one thing I'll say about, about fanatics in the future, just to, to end off the episode tonight. And again, thanks everybody for joining. If you're not subscribed to sports cars live, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next Saturday. I've had the upcoming episodes flowing along the ticker all night and be sure to follow my good friends at the big three hockey on Instagram. They showcase some of the finest singles in the hobby. I'm going to throw up the upcoming episodes one more time. And I'll just say that, you know, getting, uh, getting, having Josh Luber on the show, uh, hanging out with him a little bit at the national, uh, seeing him, seeing him on social media, basically saying that he, he had a great time at the national this year because he could just go shopping for cards. I think that bodes well for the hobby because he is a collector. He loves the same thing so much of so many of us love as well. And I think we, if nothing else, we just have to take that leap of faith and uh, and trust in in him uh, as the leader of this new entity that Fanatics is going to create to run uh, to produce cards under license for the foreseeable future as soon as their licenses kick in. So with that.
Thanks again, Brian. Thanks, everybody. BG, you stay right there. Everybody else, good night. It's Sunday night. Have a great week ahead. We'll see you all soon.